Hello everyone, this is Fahim Jackson, and it's episode 80 of my podcast show, In The Know. This podcast is aimed at trying to guide people through the world with a variety of topics. I'm using this platform to ask questions and try my best to answer these questions with my viewpoints of the world around me. The following is an introduction speech for the topic of today, and that introduction speech is regarding how the Red Sea really parted from the biblical standpoint. And if it truly happened like they say it did. Most of us are familiar with the story of how Moses led his people out of the country of Egypt across the Red Sea. And to hear this from the biblical perspective, you think to yourself, a man parted the waters? People walked across and then the enemy army was sucked up and washed away. Now let's be more practical about the story of Moses and aiding in his people being taken to freedom. How did the water truly part? And there are some scientific theories as to how this might have happened at the time. Because let's be honest, this did take place during a time period where things weren't recorded. Unlike today, these are stories passed down and voted on by men in the positions of power. Now you might be listening to this from a fundamentalist viewpoint and saying to yourself, I disagree with you, Vane. This story is a true account of an event that happened. Okay, let's observe that for a second. The story of Pharaoh and Moses are true stories. So maybe I'm just one of these logical people who see the event as it could have happened. Or maybe it happened just not like most of us would have been led to believe. Well then, how about we delve into the story to try to figure out the true history of the Red Sea parting ways as the people of Egypt walked across. Did Egyptians really cross the Red Sea. Egyptian leaders. Over the time of Egypt, there have been quite a few leaders that have stepped into the roles of pharaohs whose impact was major on the people. One of the names was Huni, where nothing much is known about him, but we know he attempted to build a step pyramid like that of Sneferu. This is odd because his reign lasted for 24 years. But his burial is still unknown. Another pharaoh is Sneferu, who reigned in Egypt for 48 years. He is credited with building the Bent Pyramid, which was an early attempt to build one right away. He built the Red Pyramid and the Medium Pyramid, which was an attempt to start by Huni. Sneferu had a lot of children as well. Eight sons, five daughters. After Sneferu was the builder of the Great Pyramid of Giza, Khufu, Khufu. This would go on to be considered one of the seven wonders of the world. As for his personal life, he himself had over ten children with two wives. Now let's go back to the Great Pyramid to digress from his personal. This has been a structure that has baffled even the smartest of scientists even convincing themselves that aliens built the pyramids or some other advanced species. And adding to this site was the Sphinx, 
which is created by the next leader, Jedefri. Jedefri reign was between 10 and 15 years and is said to have been dedicated to his father, the Sphinx in his father's likeness. He also tried to build a pyramid himself north of Giza in Abu Rawash. This pyramid did not survive the test of time as most of the prominent pyramids. It would be centuries late when the most prominent name came about, and that was King Tutankhamun, known as King Tut, but known by his throne name as Nabaka Peru. He was son of King Akhenaten, and his mother's identity have been of much speculation from it being a first cousin of his father to a sibling of his father. He took the throne at the age of either eight or nine years old and held the post for that amount of time by which he passed about a year or so later. Due to health issues, he also did not bring a child to term as well, ending a lengthy royal rule in history. And next comes the most popular, most powerful pharaoh, even the pharaoh of Exodus, that some may say, Ramses the Great. He ruled the country for nearly 70 years and did everything from lead great major battles to the building of great cities to expanding infrastructure across the land. The statues and monuments he constructed were like none other than men who came before himself. He is the leader that established the city of P of Pi Ramses. The power of the leaders. The heads of Egypt in today's society are so much different than the power of the leaders in the distant past. There's a lot more humanity of how they deal, and the world has their eyes on the country as well. The country was isolated from everyone, as a lot of places globally in the past. Now, there were places that warred, but they were warred with places close by, like Egypt and Greece, but not Egypt and India. As far as for the leaders who gave orders, they had a very substantial amount of power in the past and today. You had centralized power so tightly knit that family members married and gave birth to siblings, children, and parents even married children. That's right. King Tut got his sister pregnant. Now the baby twins were stillborn, but nonetheless, she got pregnant with his child. Then after he died, she married her father. So, as you can see, the power was solely stayed in the families. Only problem is that genetic abnormalities formed, and it was something that was unwound the pharaoh's power structure. We are not taking into consideration that incest causes lasting biological effects. It spoils a nation, yet they wanted to hold on to power and keep commoners from climbing. But allowing commoners could have made the pharaohic power structure lasts longer in history. A child is sent downstream. The story of Exodus doesn't begin as the people walking across the Red Sea, not even fighting Pharaoh. The story starts with a little boy named Moses when he's placed in a basket and sent down the Nile River. As the Pharaoh is killing off the babies of the region and feeding them to the gators, his mother placed them in a Nile. As all babies are dying at the hands of the pharaoh, the pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in the river and takes him in. Now, how did the pharaoh manage to allow Moses to be raised in the household, even though the baby was not that of his or his daughter's? 
there's so much speculation as to the validity of this story that we are still baffled by it today. Because interesting thing about the story is that the Egyptian pharaoh Ramses the Great was a pharaoh. But was he used as a pharaoh for this biblical story? Or did the story of Exodus have to do with him or someone else? Nonetheless, it has stood the test of time. Now let's observe the next step of the story. How Moses managed to flee Egypt. Moses flees off the land. Here's when we read about the departure of Moses from Egypt. Moses is a young man at this point in life. He is observing the building of a pyramid and sees the abuse of a slave working on it. It is here when Moses sees the mistreatment and goes in to save the life of the worker. But upon helping, he mistakenly, he mistakenly kills the guard abusing the slave. The guilt of the killing makes Moses depart from his home. He called this place his home for so long, and long he must depart. Even though the killing could have easily been tossed out because his family was just that powerful, he decided to leave. And so, Moses ventured out into the wilderness. Moses is lost in the wilderness. As Moses journeyed about the wilderness, he found himself wandering in the desert for too long. He wandered for so long until he found himself lost. Shocking that a young man was lost in a country that was actually his own. But remember something, people. It's not like this young man had a GPS or Google mapping. We're talking about a time when even when you were on the land that you ruled, it was still desolate. But then when Moses had wandered so long, he came upon a young woman that would change his life forever. Her name was Zipporah. Moses finds his new life. In meeting his future wife, Zipporah, he followed her to the land of where she was from. She was from what we know of as present-day Ethiopia. But at the time, she was known to be from Midian. Her father was the head of his own tribe, and it is here where Moses became centered with himself. It is in this new life where he married Zipporah. It is also here where he makes his way into the cave where he would have his conversations with God. In this conversation, God is one who told him to return to Egypt and let his people go. Moses, of course, was quite reluctant to do so until God reassured him that he would be by him side. It is now time after this to go by that he must but go back home and convince the Pharaoh to allow the people their freedom off the land. Only problem is how will he convince the leader of the country to listen to him? Moses returns to Egypt. Moses' brother Ramses was a leader that he was approach. Moses' brother Ramses was the leader that he was to approach regarding his people of the great nation of Egypt. And this would be a serious task to take on, because by this time, Ramses was a great leader and had the entire region by the grass of his hands. But the fears of approaching his brother wouldn't last long, as the immediate interaction of coming across the brother was one of excitement. Why? Well, the biblical accord of the return had been decades. Now the real reign of Moses, now the real reign of Ramses, I mean, the great, was 66 years. So from the standpoint of time, it could have been. So from here, 
we think to ourselves, maybe Exodus could have taken place during this time. Now, let's look into the return and the layout of the leader. Ramses over a long period of time, built at a scale like no other leader in Egyptian history. This is also quite accurate because no matter if you believe the biblical record or not, the country was built on a very high level by this pharaoh. So the accuracy as Moses returned was in alignment with what happened in the Bible. Now, let's take a look at the reunited relationship between the two brothers. Moses makes his demands. Returning to Egypt, observing the landscape, Moses eventually found his way to the kingdom steps. And here's when Ramses sees his brother and embraces him. And this had to have been some interaction, especially with the biblical stating, especially with the Bible stating, that Moses had been gone for over 40 years. But at some point after the embrace, there had to have been a conversation that took place regarding the masses. This had to throw Ramses because his power hinged on his ability to exude control over the people. So now the thoughts had to have been like, well, what is this? Instead of Moses trying to explain where and what he's been doing all this time, he immediately wants his people free. A moment must have taken place as well where Moses challenged his brother in front of his people. This means the people see the difference in the brother's thoughts and views. What this can turn into is a war between the brothers. You can disagree in private, but never in public. Because once this happens, the people can stand up and challenge the pharaoh because they have a leader on their side. This can destabilize a region, so now Pharaoh has to go on the attack of Moses. He loves his brother, but has to prove a point. But also, then again, they were not real brothers. Here's where the problems really start. By biblical accounts, there were multiple events that would convince Pharaoh that he should allow all the people of Egypt to go on and have their own freedom a few of which were plagues that killed the firstborn and the locusts which overran the country. Here's when the pharaoh decided to allow the people to leave, but not without one last act. And here's when the now comes into play. Moses leads his people from Egypt. Here's the place where the people of Egypt are embarking on their journey across the Red Sea. As the pharaoh released his grasp on the people, he allowed Moses to vacate the land with his people. But there was just one problem. Pharaoh lost a son in the plagues that God brought upon Egypt. Brother or not, that was enough to seek out Moses and the people. He wanted to have vengeance on both his people and brother. Not his time to get back at them. With his army, he made his move on the people of Egypt. Moses, not knowing this, until the last minute, had to make something happen. And that is when he asked for the call for God, and here's where we get to the Red Sea. Moses' prayers were answered, and the Red Sea opened. To the astonishment of the people, they walked behind Moses as he led them over the waters. Pharaoh directed his army into the waters. And what happened next was the waters collapsing onto Pharaoh and his army. And it was here when Pharaoh and Moses both knew they would never set eyes on each other again. From here, the story starts to transpire into the people of Israel and the next chapter of Moses and his people.
the science behind the Waters Party. Now let's observe the reality behind the story, because the idea of the Waters parting and rising in the air to allow the people to walk across, this doesn't ring as real. The logic behind this defies the laws of physics. But there is a natural phenomenon that occurs at the Nile River, where the waters tend to recede. And here's where the story could be true. But the water doesn't rise above the ground. There's a physics reaction called fluid dynamics, which allows for the water to part, which could have given the people time to pass through before the waters close. So the ability for this story to be real could be true. Only one thing is that how did Moses know that the sea would open if he slammed his staff in the water? Well, as Moses returned to Egypt, he could have seen the water receding and knew when it would open at a particular moment in time. Then it was time to lead his people out of Egypt. This could have been proof he needed to give the people to further follow him. So when the leader was swallowed up by the Red Sea, then it reassured that God was watching over his people. The faith base outside the scientific proof. As a person that is practicing their belief, they are more fundamentalists in their views on the Red Sea parting. Anything that will allude to the stories and not being true, the believers are not going to have anything to do with their beliefs being challenged. Science is not something that religious people want in the vicinity of their faith. Science has always been used to discredit the faith, but there have been experiments that have aimed at trying to prove the Red Sea true. Maybe eventually scientists and religion will come to the mind, a coming of the minds. Maybe we will learn that there is a little bit of both, that Moses was a prophet as well as a man. He led a group of people to freedom and also helped them across waters that defied physics. The viewpoints shaped by the logic. We are observing the story of Exodus. You have to understand that reality. You have to understand there are belief systems and then there is reality. So what do I mean by reality? This is what I mean. The society that existed in the past is not that much different than today in the sense that people had jobs. People had places where they lived in transportation. People had places where they consumed meals and also institutions for learning. It was in their own form of living, but it wasn't this special group of people then. And now we're just simple yet advanced in technology. So the idea that a deity existed at the time, then stopped, is hard to believe. It's almost as if the Bible stories and miracles took place over time, and now there have been, not been any miracles that require God's intervention. Because people have always needed freedom, which requires God's help, but only when the stories were being told. This took place. So maybe we should accept that These were stories no more than to inspire people to push back against oppression. The believers will continue to believe. Those who feel that their faith base is real will never turn. Even though the existence of God is falling apart, it is too much of the masses' belief system to turn. And the stories are not that much different. The fundamentalists don't want to hear these stories as mere made-up fantasies. Because if these stories like Exodus are not real, then what does that say about the different cultures of people who depend on these stories to tell the truth of their group? Exodus led to the foundation of Israel and the Jewish state and its people. So you can see how there would be so much pushback from the believers themselves. The last thing you want to do is make people feel like they're less than because of their faith base.
What is the meaning? Whenever you have these strong biblical stories, there are always reasons for the stories being told. The reason behind Moses being put down the Nile River at birth could be that his mother was not able to care for him. Raising him in a situation where it is detrimental to his well-being, he is better being sent off to someone who can care for him better. When you also think about Moses leaving Egypt and fleeing into the desert, wondering why he did this for years, this is the ability to go out and find yourself. Finding his future wife and speaking to God from the burning bush is him finding his way. Getting the love he desired and longed for as well as given revelations that guide him, aiding his people of Egypt. As he returns to Egypt, Moses challenges his brother to show you are willing to stand up for yourself, even when it is close to someone you know. But you should also see standing up as a way to hold on to your own in the face of stronger, powerful structures. When it comes to the exit from the country with the people, it means gaining people's trust. But the people's trust by way of being in a position of power themselves to challenge the leader. And leaving the country has to do with the ability to leave everything behind and start fresh. Are we living these events today? What are the places in the world today where we can point to the need for the people to be free? Because yes, there are plenty of places in the world today that exist where the people need some type of freedom. But where's the divine intervention from God? The past were not the only ones who were in need of an exodus or a change to their regions. We have the same tyranny and leadership today as there was in the past. And what's crazy about the current time period is that we have audio and visual proof. But the most visible place on earth that we see is places like North Korea or Cuba. North Korea would have to be the most extreme because they are so isolated from the rest of the world. Now, will there be a parting of the sea which leads to South Korea? No. The divine intervention will come by way of the people. And a Korean Moses could only come from the power structure within, just as with the story of Exodus. Could this mean the life of the person? Yes. But it may be needed. It is not seen as biblical, but this would be the closest thing to an exodus. End statement. Why we have to understand the story of the Red Sea parting. When observing the story of Exodus, we have to understand that this event is more than just about the people of Egypt. This is for any place in the world, any group of people where the leader is oppressing the masses. But when will it happen again? When will the next exodus take place? Has it already happened? And we don't really know about it? If it has, we will not know about it. Since we only cover major events on television and internet, a current exodus will not be parting of the sea. A a mass exodus would be shown. But exodus does not only mean all at once. People have taken part in exodus over time until no one is in the region. Yet we never hear about these as something connected to a deity. Maybe because no major religion is influencing the decision to exodus. It is usually political or infrastructural failure that causes the removal of people. So, thanks for listening to In The Know. I will be bringing you another episode regarding religion. The topic will be asking the question, what if a deity is to be found 
in the deserts of the Middle East.